So I wonder if you remember a little film that came out in 2009. It was called Avatar, and it was written by James Cameron. He uh, produced and wrote and edited, directed this movie. And I call it a, a little film because it is the highest grossing movie of all time. It brought in $3 billion. And now the, the hype about this movie was really less about the story that was going on and it. it was about these 3D effects because James Cameron had been working for over 10 years. As soon as he finished Titanic, he started on Avatar and he worked for 10 years to make these incredible and as they were award-winning 3D effects. And now most people, uh, most of the movie houses, they didn't want to take this movie because they're like, You're, this is just this other world and, and this movie's going to be a flop. And so he actually had a lot of trouble finding someone who would take it. But when he finally did and uh, people went to the movies and they saw this movie trailer came on, it's like they were transported to this other world. And so they would watch and, and they would see this beautiful city of Pandora. That was the setting of Avatar. They would see this incredible city of Pandora come on the screen and, and they would be moved. They would, it's like they were immersed in this complete other world. And this was just the movie trailer. And it caused all of them to start talking and then everybody started going to the movie and it became this highest grossing film of all time. And so it you know, made me start thinking about this movie trailer. You know, like when you go to the movies, it's either, ooh, I want to go see that. Or, nah, no, I don't know. Let's skip that one. Let's wait for DVD. Or not even, maybe Netflix. <laughs> and so I thought it was pretty interesting. And, and then this summer... Um, my family went to the movies, and, and we were sitting there, and a trailer for the new My Little Pony movie came out. <laughs> and I don't know if, if y'all have people in your life who enjoy My Little Pony, but my daughter is five, and she is obsessed. She collects the ponies. She lives with the ponies. <laughs> um, they are her best friends. And um, her thing is My Little Pony. And so when she saw this movie trailer come out, she was so excited. And, and she said, when is it coming? How many more days? Is it time yet? Can we go? And if she was here, she would tell you there are three sleeps until My Little Pony movie comes out. <laughs> and it's not just ponies and unicorns. Y'all, in the movie, the ponies and the unicorns turn into mermaids. And I don't know anybody who doesn't like unicorns and mermaids. And so if you didn't know about this movie, you are welcome. It comes out on Friday. <laughs> but you could say that when we saw this movie trailer, we, she was so excited. She wanted to be all in immediately. And so what if, what if we were a movie trailer? What if, what if our lives were a movie trailer? What, what would we be pointing toward? Uh, what if, what if your life was a trailer for just the most exciting movie that is about to come out? Or what if uh, maybe your job was a trailer for the place where you work? Or if your neighborhood was maybe a, a movie trailer for your city? What if your life was a movie trailer for the church? Would people say, oh, I want more of that. Let's go. Or would they say, meh, not interested. 
You see, when in all actuality, the church is actually a movie trailer for the kingdom of God. You see, after Jesus ascended into heaven, he was no longer physically present, but he sent the Holy Spirit to his people, equipping them to begin founding his church. And we've seen that people were so drawn, they were saying, I want some of that, that 3,000 were added to the church, that, that 5,000 were added to the church. And the church was not just here to announce the movie, but it was actually here to demonstrate, to demonstrate love, joy, justice, peace, mercy. And you, think, and you think, we get to be a part of this very important work. We are part of the church. Author Michael Frost, he makes this comparison of the church to a movie trailer, and he calls us to imagine God's kingdom as the biggest blockbuster movie ever to come out. The biggest blockbuster that told the most incredible story and it brought in this incomprehensible amount of money the very first week. And people see that trailer and they decide, hey, I want to go see that. I want some more. Or, meh, it's not really for me. You see, the church is that movie trailer. And when people see it, they should see a picture of grace, justice, love, peace and mercy, of celebration, of joy, of life, something that causes them to say, I want the whole thing, and maybe even the little toys that come out afterward. <laughs> you see, as we're studying in Acts, and in these first few months and weeks of the church, um, we begin to see this picture of the church growing and becoming more colorful. A couple weeks ago, Jody taught us that as the church, we are to be witnesses, that we are to bring forth the message of God and his kingdom. And then last week, Sissy so eloquently and expertly walked us through Pentecost and showed us that as witnesses, we are to remember that not only is the gospel for everyone, the gospel unites us, that we all have sin, that we all have bias that we all have to confess those for God's kingdom to be realized and to be glorified. And so we find ourselves in Acts 3 today, where God is growing his church, numbers are being added daily, and his disciples are providing these glimpses of the kingdom. So if you have your Bibles, jump with me to Acts 3, or it will be on this screen. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him as did John. And then Peter said, look at us, look. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. 
So Peter and John are making their way to the temple to, to give alms, like when we bring something to the church to, to help other people, just like an offering, basically. And here they are, just like us. They're headed to the church. They are hooking it down 635. They are going on their way, and, and they have just exited off the highway, and they're sitting at the light, thanking God that they have survived another day on LBJ. Amen. And then um, they're sitting there, and they're contemplating and just, you know, what they're going to do at the temple. And they look over, and they see the man there on the ground, and and he has this cardboard sign, and he says, disabled, hungry, God bless. And now Peter, if you'll remember, Peter has left his fishing business. And so Peter doesn't have an income anymore. He is now in ministry, and we all know that, that we don't go into ministry for the pay. <laughs> and so Peter is like, well, I don't, I don't know what to give him. And he, he looks over at John and he's like, hey, hey man, do you have any money? And John's all like, we have the same boss, man. No. And so with barely a nickel to his name, Peter pulls the car over and, and they get out and they walk over to the man. And I, um, I want you to look back and see what Peter says to him. He says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. What is Peter about to give him? He is about to give him power, a miracle in the name of Jesus Christ. Now you see, Peter didn't give him what he asked for, did he? He gave him something more and something better. People come to us all the time asking for gold and silver, but here there is something greater going on. But hear me when I say this. This is not to discount or take away from the fact that we are still to meet the physical needs of people. Here, we're giving to small chains for big change to fund an apartment for a refugee family. At the church, we are advocates for Hurricane Harvey evacuees, and we're helping take care of a few people. We do backpacks for school because kids need school supplies, and we do Thanksgiving baskets here because people deserve to have a hot special meal on Thanksgiving. And so it is important, absolutely, that we can and should meet the physical needs of people. Please hear me say that. But something else is going on here. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And did he walk? And he jumped, and he leapt, and he began dancing. Y'all, he had never experienced walking in his whole life. It says that he was born this way, and he was over 40 years of age. Y'all, for an infant, it takes an infant a year to learn how to walk. When I had a cast for a mere three weeks on my foot, it took another three weeks for the muscles to grow back and, and to gain, gain strength again. And here, Peter says, walk, and, and the man's feet become strong, and it says his ankles became strong, and, and then attached to his ankle is his Achilles that straightened out, and then his calves had to, had to also strengthen to support him, and, and maybe his knees straightened, and then you know his hips were crooked, and his spine was all messed up from, from sitting on the ground for 40 years, and from top to bottom, he was completely renewed. Y'all, this is a miracle in the name of of Jesus, of Jesus, Jesus. This is my Jesus. Look how this miracle um, is going, because this is what I want to focus on today is this miracle. 
And if you will, the, this miracle is it's like a little microcosm of the church, basically. And so I want you to think of it that way. And this miracle points upward, it points forward, and it points inward. And that's where we're going to go today. So look at how it is pointing upward. Let's jump ahead to verse 12. It says, when Peter saw this, he said to them, people of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? He's like, do you you think we did this? Because we didn't do this. And he goes on to describe who Jesus is. And you did this in your lessons this week. You did a little, a mini Christology, which is the study of Christ. And you listed all of these characteristics of Jesus. And do you remember what they said? It said that Jesus has existed co-eternal with God. Meaning even though Jesus came to earth as an infant, he has existed with God before time even began. If you look at Genesis 1.26, you'll see that God said, let us make mankind in our image. Do you think he was talking to the snakes or the giraffes? No, he was talking to Jesus saying, Jesus was there. We'll make mankind in our image. Jesus has existed for all time. And so Peter stands before these leaders and he says, that God you worship, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this God that you hold in such high regard and that you have for centuries, this God that you hold in high regard is the same God that holds Jesus in high regard. And then he says he is the holy and righteous one. What righteous meant to those church leaders? It means innocent. It means free of guilt. I mean, if he was guilty, he wouldn't be righteous. And, and if he was innocent, they, they wouldn't have killed him. But they did. And it says Jesus is the author of life. It is his resurrection that cleared him. He, he is innocent. He was raised back to life. God brought him to life, and he is in heaven with God. And Peter's use of irony here, it is expert level. <laughs> he says, you worship this God, but you rejected his son. He's the author of life, and you traded him for a murderer. Friends, the power of the church, it lies in this gospel, in the resurrection of our Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not just that he died for our sins. It does not stop there. But he defeated death. He rose again, and therefore we should have no fear of death. And so this miracle points upward to the name of Jesus, and that's where the church should point to. Now, let's go on. The miracle also points forward, okay? Peter and John performed this miracle, and that miracle was a restoration of the man's body. It was a restoration. He was restored, right? Jump ahead in Peter's sermon where he's in verse 21, and he is still talking about Jesus. And he says, heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. It's saying Jesus is in heaven for now until the time comes when he is to restore everything. You see, this miracle is pointing forward to the time when Jesus comes back to restore his kingdom. 
Did y'all know that God is no happier with this broken world than we are? And so he uses miracles like this to restore. My favorite author, Tim Keller, he puts it this way. We modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretastes of what he is going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. Now, I think I can safely speak for all of us when I say the world we are in now is not the world we want. Just a day ago, a little over 30 hours, we saw the worst mass shooting in our history. As of last night, when I was reading, um, 59 people had died, and over 520 had been injured. At the hands of one man. Is this the world we want to be in? Where this is what we hear on the news? And y'all, that is evil. It is evil. And yesterday, when I woke up and heard this news, I was wrecked. All day. I was wrecked. I just didn't know what to do. All I knew was to cry out and say, Lord, have mercy. And so what do we do with that? What do we do when we have this suffering and this brokenness in our world every day? I want you to see here what we've learned about this miracle and what is going on is that God is an enemy of suffering. If you look at the power associated with Jesus' name and the miracles that are done in his name, you will see that God does not desire suffering and he does not cause evil. Do y'all get that? What God desires is what he created in the Garden of Eden. And his miracles are not just displays of power, but they are to make everything right again. They are to put things back to the natural order. And so what does that mean for us? That's a great thought. Great, thank you, God. We know you don't like this, but it's still happening. And we know from the scripture, we know that, that everything that comes to us has to come through God's hand first. And so God does not call evil, but he does allow it. And we we may not fully understand any of that until we get on the other side of heaven. But we worship a God who is above us and who knows all and can see all. And he is trustworthy. And so when we see injustice, when we see suffering, what do we do as the church? What do we do? You know, last week, Sissy preached a powerful message of confession to bring unity between people who are different. She told us of suffering and injustice that has gone on, and I had to confess some stereotypes and some assumptions that I've made for years that weren't true. 
And so after I confessed those, now what? Now what do I do as the church? If we as a church are living in the power given by Jesus' name, if we are a church who is on this side of God, then we should be enemies of suffering, and we should try to alleviate it anytime, anywhere, and anyhow we can. So what does that look like for you? You know, for me, because I knew you were wondering, (laughs) Amy, you tell us. A year ago, I had, um, God convicted me and um, brought into my life a friend who looks nothing like me, whose background is nothing like mine. And over the past year, we have entered into this very deep and life-giving relationship. And I'll admit, I was scared because the unknown is scary. And I didn't know her, and she didn't know me. But we both shared our stories. We've shared our perspectives. And so now that I can see that, my eyes have been lifted. Not only do I know her, but my eyes have been lifted to see and know a perspective to recognize injustice and suffering in a way that I've never been able to do before. And now this brand new door is open to do the work of God, to show the love of his kingdom, and to bring people to his name. Sissy um, showed us revelation, says every tribe, tongue, and nation will come together. And so when we have these relationships, that's looking forward to the restoration of how God intended things. And miracles don't just point forward to the coming kingdom, but they also point inward. They point inward so that we can have hope. You see, people are suffering every day. They're coming to us every day asking for silver or gold. And that is absolutely one way to alleviate someone's suffering. That is completely legit. (laughs) Um, But a lot of times it's easier just to put in my credit card number than it is to to get in the trenches. I mean, I've now memorized my credit card number to make it even easier. It was a lot easier to um, go onto Amazon to my friend's wish list, she lives in Friendswood near Houston, and to buy them trash bags and masks and have it shipped to um, someone in their neighborhood while I sat here. It was easier to do that than to go and and repair sheetrock and to... um, sit and hear their stories and, and listen and then to give them hope. Hope of my Jesus. If I love him so, why is it so hard? But you see, we have this hope in Jesus and not just hope for the future, but we have this hope now. Spiritually, our blind eyes need to be opened. Just like the lame man, our our lame bodies need to be livened. You see, his physical healing is a vivid illustration of, of spiritual healing and what's going on inside. He was healed in faith by power in the name of Jesus. And what he's asking for is fine. He wants food. He wants to be cared for. That is completely fine. But what he's going to get is better. You see, in the early church, they didn't have a lot of gold and silver. And we do now. And I mean, what I mean by gold and silver is not that I have some gold bars in my savings deposit box, because I do not. 
But what I do have is I get three meals a day. I have clothes in my closet. I have transportation. I think that looks like silver and gold. What they did have is they were proclaiming power in the name of Jesus. And so are we doing that? Do we still see those miracles today? Miracles that point upward to Jesus, they point forward to his kingdom, and they point inward to give us hope. I can proudly say that I think we do. What, when we see people in the church doing things in the name of Jesus, for the sake of Jesus, and out of love for our Jesus, are we willing to share not only our gold and silver, but also our Jesus? Why, why, why do people do that? You know, we could ask, Sissy, why did you leave your job and your salary on Wall Street to come do ministry in Irving, Texas? Melissa, why do you come to church every Wednesday night and teach ESL to people you don't even know? Lauren, why have, why have you taken in children who are not yours and you have cared for them emotionally physically and financially. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Martha, why did you open your home to a refugee family who, who you didn't know, who they don't have much wealth or hope for what's coming? And Marcia, Jessica, Catherine, Lauren, Lindsay, Mary, Denise, Amy, why do you leave your families and your work and your friends and everything stable here and travel halfway across the world to spend time and look in the eye of women in Goma, Congo. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I venture to say that when we see that, those are miracles. That is the church doing the work of God. And you see, when we do those miracles when we participate in God's kingdom, we're not just pointing forward to the kingdom, we're not just pointing upward to Jesus, but we're showing people hope, hope for right now. But I'm gonna take it a step further and say that these miracles do not happen without pointing a little bit downward. You see, for all of the women I just mentioned, they also experience sacrifice. They also experience suffering. When Peter and John performed the miracle of healing the lame man, it now made them vulnerable, and they were arrested and went to jail. When the woman who was hemorrhaging um, came to Jesus and she touched his garment and she was healed, you see, Jesus some of his power had to go out to her and her weakness came to him. When Jesus healed Lazarus and raised him from the dead, it made the, the leaders at that time, they said, well, now we have to kill him. And the miracle of God becoming a human being and, and Jesus joining us here on earth it's one of the most incredible miracles. But when God became a man, that also made him very killable. You see, Jesus 
could not take Lazarus out of the grave without putting himself in. Do you see, I think it's no mistake that after Jesus ascended into heaven, the miracles didn't stop. You see, they continued in the church because because the church is a trailer for the greatest story, the greatest blockbuster in history. And we're a part of that. We, as the church, can point upward to God. We can point forward to his kingdom and restoration. And we can point inward, giving hope. And yet, down, because it takes sacrifice. And that can be scary. (laughs) And we can end up afraid of what that might require of us. But my sweet friends, I have good news. God is... God's church is pointing toward that day of restoration. For for those in suffering, we can give them hope. If they have experienced injustice, we can tell them about the God we worship who is just and righteous. For those who are sick, we can point toward healing. For those fearing death, we can introduce them to life with Jesus. And y'all, we don't have to be afraid. Because suffering, suffering cannot last forever. Suffering's gonna stop. The suffering is temporal. But you know what's not going to end? The kingdom. I was scrolling through Facebook this morning, and um, I saw something um, from a woman that I wanted to share with y'all. And I think she says our, our charge pretty well. And it was just a, some random lady that somebody shared her post. And so I was reading through it. She was fearful about what's, what's coming, what's going to happen to her kids, what's going to happen in this world. What we do, are we helpless? Are we the church? And this is what she said. It's not going to get any better this side of heaven, friends. There will always be pain. There will always be death. But that doesn't mean that we sit and hide inside our four walls. It means that we go knowing we serve a God who has already won. And we raise our children to be love and tell of blessed assurance in a world of fear because we are called to go to our neighbors, to the stranger on the street, to Puerto Rico, to Miami, to Haiti, to wherever there is pain, and to Las Vegas. Our hearts are broken. We weep and we pray. We are called to go, to be his witnesses, to tell of his goodness, to offer hope and healing to a world that desperately needs it, to be a trailer for what's to come. And now, if we want to know what is to come, I want to share with you this. You know, we've read in this passage that Peter and John were there. But as we're used to, Peter has done a lot of the talking. We haven't heard from John, really. John has just been a spectator. He's just been watching, really. I mean, we know that that he was with Peter. We know he was a disciple with Jesus. He witnessed many of these miracles that were being done in Jesus' name to restore God's original desire to his people. He knew the original scriptures, and so when he saw these happening, he knew what was going on. 
And so later in his life, he sits down and he writes this letter to seven different churches. And this letter speaks of what we've discussed today, of the kingdom of restoration. And this is what he says in his letter. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. He will be their God. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. The old order of things, the things we know now, those, that order of things will pass away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down. When do we write stuff down? When it's important and when we want to remember it. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. There is a day coming of restoration. And with these words straight from God, John wrote these in the letter to encourage the churches. And so as the church, we are to pass those words along. We are to point upward to Jesus, to the power in his name, We point forward, knowing that suffering will end because his kingdom is coming and will restore us. We point inward and we reveal the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus because death has been defeated. So what do you think? How is the church doing as a movie trailer for the greatest and most incredible story ever told? As the church, what is your life telling? Do people say, oh, I want more of that? Or do they say, I'll pass? Let me pray. God, I pray that when we are here as your representatives, as your witnesses, God, that people see the greatest story of all time being told in our lives with our joy and our hope that we go um, to places to alleviate suffering and injustice. God, we are so thankful that we are part of your church and we get to do the work that you have called us to do. Holy Spirit, move in us now so that we know what our next step is as part of the church. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.